Underwriting for Auto Line this week, provided by. Good nap. The Firestone Destination LE2. Tough enough to handle anything the road throws at you. Oops. And you throw at it. Durable, dependable Firestone tires. Whatever you drive, drive a Firestone. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. Want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. We've got a terrific special guest today. Mark Royce is the Executive Vice President for Global Product Development, Purchasing, and Supply Chain. It's great having you here on AutoLine. Thanks, John. Week. Yeah, great, great to be here. It's been a, been a while. It has been a while, but it's good to have you back, and the timing is perfect. Joining me on my journalist panel today are Michelle Krebs, an analyst with AutoTrader, and Jeff Bennett with the Wall Street Journal. Great having the both of you here, too. Thanks. Thanks very much. Mark. Incredible change at General Motors. You guys have gone through more than any other company. When I look at pre-bankruptcy, you guys had products that weren't all that exciting. You had some serious defects. Fast forward to today, you've got award-winning products. You've got some of the best technology for GLTE. You're doing, you've gone from the heaviest cars in the luxury segment, Cadillacs, to the most lightweight cars in the segment as they come out. My curiosity is, what's changed? What are you doing differently with product development now that goes from a kind of lackluster performance to award-winning? That's a great question, John. I think, uh, I think it really starts with um, people's mindset in the company and, uh, and focus. Uh, and it's not just focus on a truck or a crossover. It's a focus on everything from a spark to a Corvette and everything in between, and it's everything we bring to market. So that mindset and focus really starts with winning rather than competing. And uh, that's a big transformation, and it takes time. Um, but I think we're on the right track, uh, as you mentioned, because uh, every single entry that we bring to market is developed, compared, and uh, adjusted to win as it's brought into the marketplace. The marketplace is so competitive now, you, you know that. But, it, uh, but has your process changed? It absolutely has changed. And, Can you give uh, us some for instance? Sure, sure. for instance, um, I think every Friday uh, for about five hours, um, myself and our staff go out and drive every single car in every stage of development until we go into production. So think about 65% calibration, first time the engine actually sees the car, uh, that stage in development all the way through 99 and 100% um, calibrations. And so, uh, and, and we have um, every, you know, the leaders and the target in each segment uh, identified and on the ride. And anything that we think um, is interesting that's new uh, in the time frame where we develop the car is brought into that process as well. So. That's the foundational change and focus and winning that we've put in place, and I think that's contagious all the way through the organization. You gotta be spending more money on your cars, too, because you used to have kind of yeah. uh, cheap-looking interiors in some of your products. That's right. You don't see that now. No, you don't, and I think you're, you're gonna see, and I was just in the studio with Ed Welburn yesterday, I think what you're gonna see in the future, um, you know, we've concentrated on interiors, uh, but also 
you know, exteriors. We don't have, when we bring a vehicle out from a design standpoint, I can remember the days when we had to explain why we did it. And you, you'd probably all remember that very well, uh, too. Uh, we don't have to explain anything we did from a design standpoint. In fact, we, um, they want to know, you know, how did we do it, um, not why did we do it. Uh, that's a big change, too. So I think the design piece of this is firing on every single cylinder right now. So it's, uh, it's really fun to see. But I think um, on a process and mindset basis in that space, um, we, used to, we used to look at, on a short-term basis, making the quarter or making the year ex almost exclusively. And you know we study the industry incredibly. What we are doing now is, and we would, by the way, dedicate in product development, probably 25% of the engineering workforce would be focused on current model profit improvement. And so when you do that, you get into redesigning subsystems and components on a car that's already on the road. You take the supply base with you, all right? What you've induced now is an incredible amount of churn, high risk of quality, to make the quarter saving money on a current car. Is that really how you want to spend your precious engineering resources? No. And so what we do now is we look at what we did and we understand it. And working with the supply base, we take those learnings into the next program. And so that's a powerful mindset change as well. Um, I don't think it's particularly exciting as an engineer to work on my suspension system that I've already put into production and did the best I could with a supplier on improving that for the last two years of production on a car. That's not particularly satisfying either. And so the engineers now have a completely different mindset too of taking what we did, understanding it, but taking that into the next product program and making it far better than the last one. Because there's only 24 hours in a day, right? You can't spend a, you know, a third of your time on old things that frankly are going out of production. Those are big, big mindset and focus changes inside the company. Mark, we're on the eve of the North American International Auto Show in Detroit, and uh, that will be a place that you showcase some of this new, tech, uh, new uh, vehicles, the Volt being one. Could you talk I about the process that you went through with the Volt and sure. why it's better? And yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I'd love to. I'd love to tell you everything about the car and show you too, but I can't, I can't do all of that, but I'll, I'll, I'll do the best I can. Uh, the Volt and the CTSV will be shown in Detroit, and there'll be a couple of other um, surprises that'll be really ex exciting too. But Michelle, on the Volt, you know, uh, if you look at how we've um, really dedicated ourselves to that technology, both uh, how we set ourselves up to own the battery chemistry on the Volt, and use um, you know, an incredible supplier with LG on the cells themselves, that was a perfect business model to be able to produce the Volt that's gonna come. The reason is, uh, is because the integration and the chemistry uh, that was developed for the original Volt has only uh, gotten better as, as time's gone on. And you can see it um, when we did the ELR. Uh, people say, well, why'd you do the ELR? We wanted to do the ELR for lots of reasons, but from an engineering standpoint, it was the next gen of a lot of things that people frankly can't really understand or see, but we had to take another step uh, in development of that chemistry battery and the use of it in a car. And so when we get to the next gen of the Volt, um, we now know exactly um, how to use the battery 
and we know the duty cycle from you know an incredible basis of Volt customers that we have really put in place incredible feedback mechanisms to know how they use the car, what they really value in the car. Um, don't forget, when we did this the first time, there was a lot of things we didn't know. Um, and now we're getting that. So to be able to use the battery in the next-gen Volt uh, in the exact proper way uh, means we can size it right, means we can get the most range out of it, and we can do it at a different pricing scenario than we did with the original car. And that's the whole idea around evolution, development, and uh, satisfying the customer. So I think you'll see um, some pretty impressive things when the Volt comes out in the battery electrical you know, use part of it. But I also think you know, uh, the car, and people have told us this, as, as plug-ins and, and pure electrics become more mainstream, uh, I think uh, the consumer tastes around what you're driving no longer can express it as purely a science experiment and look at me. This has to be more mainstream and the appeal has got to be broader from a design and use standpoint, both in the exterior and interior. And I think you're gonna see things that really open up the beauty of, um, of you know, the, the electric vehicle. And, uh, and that was a, a good, really focused um, uh, learning from it as well. So I think you're gonna see some exciting things there. I think um, also uh, some things that are immediately uh, transparent um, on today's electric vehicles on braking and steering because of the early regen systems and blend systems uh, were things that were, were fine, but you could always carry, I mean, if you put a blindfold on, you, you, you knew you're driving something electric, not, not just from the sound, but from the steering, e yes, and, and how it blends and how it, on the progression of a brake pedal, for instance. So lots of big advances on, um, you know, how fun it is and, and how satisfying it is to drive as well. You know, Mark, in the space, as you know, Tesla seems to always uh, eat up all of the publicity around yes. this. But I think a lot of people don't understand or, or question why can Tesla, another company, be so far ahead and yet the mainstream automakers such as yourself seems to be moving at more of a step-by-step -step slower pace. And I'm wondering what's your thoughts on that? What, yeah. what do you do to kind of explain that? Yeah, I, I don't know if I can explain all of it, but I think um, I give them a lot of credit, number one. Uh, and so I, I think it's, it's really been, uh, I think the American, uh, and particularly the American auto industry, uh, needs Tesla. Uh, because, um, you know, we're, we're, we've been around a long time, um, so have a lot of other mature OEMs uh, in the American marketplace. And so, you know, if we bring an electric vehicle out uh, as a mature old automaker, we are going to be um, extremely scrutinized in ways that, um, and, and, you know, the benefit of the doubt is never with us on things like that. You know, we found that over, over a, a long while here. But... Um, you know, because we have Tesla, um, it opens up things um, for all of us uh, that that um, are great for the marketplace and great for the customer. So I, I value that uh, extensively. Um, I don't have a problem with um, the way they're viewed from a success standpoint either, because uh, they've done some great things with with the car, and uh, they deserve it. And so uh, I, f I feel really good about that uh, and what they've done for the industry, but also the way they've opened that up. But um, Make no mistake, we know how to make uh, very good cars. So I'll just leave it at that. Mark, we're we're in an era of um, low gas prices. They just keep. Mm -hmm. I saw two forty five the other day. Um, how does it affect product planning? And then 
and vehicles like the Volt. Sure. Yeah, I, I keep getting asked the question, are we back to the bad old days of <laughs> buying, you know, gas gossing, yeah. SUVs and trucks right. and such? Right. I, I'm not sure they can uh, influence the customer's um, needs and choices. In fact, I'm, I'm sure I can't. Um, but um, I think fundamentally, and I think, uh, you know, this has probably been stated before, but I'll state it again uh, from a GM and, and, uh, and, and my standpoint, um, you know, a lot of these things are somewhat episodic in terms of gas prices and, uh, and what it does in terms of uh, instant buying patterns. Um, some of that's going to happen. Uh, we know that. Uh, on, a plan, on, a, on a business that is highly capital intensive that has to look you know, five, ten years out, uh, I'm not sure we should be looking at that in our planning cycle too much. Um, we're looking at it. We understand it. Uh, but to bank on those trends, um, as trends, uh, I'm not sure that's a smart move. So I think there's fundamentally um, a good change, and I think it's generational as well, around caring about sustainability. Um, and I think uh, that's a really great thing. Uh, so we plan for that, and uh, I think you're going to see some surprises in Detroit that um, demonstrates our commitment to that beyond the vault. Beyond the vault, something that you won't talk about on no. the show. <laughs> no. <It's> not yet. <laughs> Yeah, so I, and I think uh, I think it'll surprise people at, um, at, at you know how how different uh, General Motors is from a, a progressive standpoint. What we can, you know what we can really do technically uh, in that space um, because of a lot of the things that we learned and, and developed with the Volt and some of the battery things um, and chemistries that are proprietary to us. General Motors uh, had been pushing fuel cell cars, and now we're hearing more and more automakers get into it. Not that GM was the only one, mm -hmm. but. Where, where do you think that's all going? Well, I, um, you know, we, we, we've led in fuel cells for years because we made a lot of investment in it. So our stack um, and our fuel cell stack is still, uh, I believe, um, in a leadership position. Whether we put it in production or not uh, is, is a different question. Uh, we've partnered with Honda, who is going to bring it into production. Um, so we're going to learn with Honda uh, what it takes to put it into production. They're going to learn some of um, what we have. Um, not everything, of course. So this is different a, than the, the fuel cell car they've had in the market, the Clarity? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and there is, learn, you know, they're, they're, they're putting fuel cells into production. So it's a great partnership. Um, it's a great company. And, uh, you know, so I think that's a very powerful one right there. Um, I think, uh, again, the infrastructure piece of this is tough. And, and Toyota has, uh, has stepped up and, and at least communicated the, the plan for that and what they're going to do with that. Um, so I think it's a huge positive step. But... At the end of the day, uh, you know, um, that technology has uh, huge legs in my mind um, in, in the future. And so we are investing, um, uh, you know, we are investing in it. Um, whether we, when, we, when we do it and put it into production, it may not be an automobile um, that we put it into production on our fuel stack with. Um, we'll see. You mean power a building or something like that? Well, there's lots of industries that would uh, enjoy our fuel stack uh, technology. I'll leave it at that. Oh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, part of your title, of course, too, includes purchasing supply chain. Suppliers probably generate 70% of the value of a car these days, i.e. in terms of purchase parts and materials. How are you working differently with suppliers? You gave us some good examples of how your product development process has changed. What are you doing differently with suppliers, especially with some of these uh, horrible defects that have cropped up? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, uh, in the past, um, I'm not sure we had a quality focus, um, both the, the, you know, a, a, I mean, a real focus on, on quality like we have today. And, uh, you know, if you look at how we came out of a very tough 
economic environment, the industry I'm talking about, and then if you look at how the suppliers sort of re-level their capacity um, so that anything that happens on the upside is operational capacity instead of installed capacity in a lot of cases. You begin to stretch um, what the supplier can actually do. Meaning they're running max over time. They're running it so hard and so are we um, that you start to see things. And, uh, and so how are the quality systems, the question becomes how are the quality systems um, going to change to be able to address that. And so we're right in the middle of that right now. But fundamentally, the relationships, I think, that Grace Liebline has put in place, um, you know, focusing on the relationships over the last couple of years has been um, uh, some of the hardest work that we've had to do in the company. And we're not, we're not done yet. But um, I think uh, our planning uh, in General Motors uh, wasn't very good in terms of mix and, uh, and where we're going to do something and how much of it we're going to do. And so um, when we come out with a volume that we source to on a supplied basis and we change it, um, we put the supplier's business at risk from a capital investment standpoint. And the supplier then, they're running a, a business to make money, comes back um, on a material cost basis and makes that up on the next program they source with GM. That's a really unhealthy cycle. And so we're all about breaking that cycle and having truth around those volumes and capacity and product plans uh, and really focusing on the accuracy or range of accuracy with the supplier. And by the way, the supplier is going to have a big voice in what they think is going to happen as well. That's a very different approach than saying, coming in and saying, you know, this is what General Motors we know. You know, can't, you know no one's that smart. Um, no one has the crystal ball. If you did, we'd probably be in a different business. Um, so we got we got to have that input and we got to have that trust and we have to uh, take that journey together so that we don't have material costs that are higher than other people because we didn't set the supplier up to succeed in the first place. So hopefully that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Big change though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big change. And we're going we're gonna to source on not just one cycle and then you know, you know, take it somewhere else the next cycle, but we're going to look at multiple product cycles with the supplier. That's really important because that's how you get the trust, that's how you get the innovation, and that's how you get really competitive cost and quality. And that's a massive change for General Motors. A massive yeah. change for General Motors. Mark, you've made a lot of changes at Cadillac. It's had a year of struggles. Mm -hmm. um, what's the outlook there? Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, in, in, a, in the internet coverage era, um, it's easy for people to look at a month of sales or a week of sales or a uh, first product of sales. The, the changes are so significant in Cadillac, starting with the ATS and the Alpha architecture, and then what our dealers have, have put in place in terms of their facilities and the approach to Cadillac, bringing in the Ritz-Carlton, you know, all of those things. You know, we're, we're number one in, in, in the customer satisfaction piece of this in our dealership network. Um, everybody worked really hard for that. So how do you change the brand is really the question and the, what people think of the brand. I don't think it's any less than um, a complete product portfolio to compete with um, you know, the people who are well-established in that, that segment. And I think we've got to do it for a while because uh, uh, General Motors and Cadillac has promised and under-delivered. And so we have to do what we say we're going to do. And we have to do that for a while. And we've got to do it both in product, uh, with the customer, and with the network. Cadillac's moving its headquarters to New York City. Yes. As you know, because I know you know your history, Antoine de la Motte Cadillac founded and named the city of Detroit. So here its namesake brand is moving out. What's the rationale behind that? Well, um, number one, if you, if you always do what you always did, you're probably going to get what you always got. 
right? So um, we got to be a company that's willing to take some risk. And so, uh, yes, there's risk in it. Yes, there's all of that in it. However, we design, build, and engineer Cadillacs in Detroit. So don't forget that. What we don't have is a good brand presence in some of those markets like the East Coast um, and, and the West Coast where we have to be successful because those are some of the places that define and uh, really, uh, with an explanation point, frankly, the advertising industry. They define um, luxury trends before they happen uh, traditionally. And so we have to have a presence there. And I think um, that mindset in how we market and sell our vehicles is, um, is a good risk to take. Uh, it's not risking all of our plants. It's not risking all of our engineering. It's certainly not risking any of our design. And so um, if Johan and his team can bring that uh, learning um, from that coast into um, how we execute and sell, uh, I think there's benefit to that. Uh, Mark, taking a step back to quality, um, you know, tw twice this year I think GM has done what, what few have seen that you've issued a stop sell at the dealers to because you had come across a problem. And I know with, uh, with the recalls that you have dealt with, that was one of your things was to, right. to move in that direction. But I'm just wondering if you could give some color around that because to make that kind of move so early on is something we rarely saw. We waited right. until the automaker had shipped about 100,000 cars That's and right. then issue a recall. <laughs> That's right. So is yeah. it that you have more people on the line looking at fit and finish and all of that? We, or? we have all of that. And uh, you know, that, that, that comes from a, um, a huge focus and cultural change that we're, we're right in the middle of as well in our mindset of a defect-free culture. And so passing defects from one state, I mean, very simply from a manufacturing standpoint, if you wait until the car is built and you have a care line full of people inspecting the car, mm -hmm. that's not built-in quality. If you look at engineering, uh, and you, know, you, can, you can make that, uh, uh, you, can, you can really tie that together with the manufacturing example I gave, if you wait until we ship the car and put it in the customer's hand to see if we have a defect, um, what, if, what are we really doing there? Well, we can build up a whole bunch of people that check things after 100,000 cars are made, or we can check from gate to gate, from process to process, what have we done and is it defect-free? Hmm. And so, um, you know, literally we were chasing uh, vehicles on a train uh, before they got to a dealer when we found something. So we've gone from about six um, investigators to, to 50 plus. And these were our best and brightest engineers that had been in lots of different places in the car. And so the minute we see something, whether it's in the early stages of validation or um, it's, it's as we build, or you're gonna see all that. And so, um, but if we don't, uh, really change the way we engineer the car, we'll, we'll continue chasing things. So for now, um, we're, we're going to chase it uh, and we're going to get everything before it gets to a customer. But fundamentally, if we bring in, and, and I split engineering into two groups. One is a systems engineering group, which um, as the car becomes even more complex, if we don't engineer the components and subsystems to the systems in the car and their specifications, and you can say the whole car is a system, so we start there, but then you get into safety systems, you get into seat systems, all of those systems. 
So the design uh, failure mode analysis of those systems will rule how we design the specifications for each component. Hmm. And I think, you know, we're an old company and I think some of the more mature OEMs will probably have the same system that we had, which was silos of components that were organized by uh, a commercial basis of buying and engineering those parts. No longer is that true at General Motors. Hmm. And so, uh, I really ha I'm fearless on um, whether we, what message it sends to either the media or our customers on a recall. I could care less. What I do care about is passing defects to our customers. And so that's, that's the overlying and overarching philosophy that we're putting into General Motors. So if a, if a stop sell has to occur in the future, you're, you guys... I'm the guy doing it um, right <laughs> now. So with a, with a team of experts that run systems engineering, safety, and, uh, and our components and our manufacturing. So the vice presidents of those sit in a room and uh, we look at everything just about every week. Hmm. So it's pretty, pretty, it's actually liberating. Um, I can tell you, and the people, the engineers that are in that room with us, um, that's how you change it. Mark, uh, General Motors has multiple product development centers, Europe, Latin America, Australia, China. How do you get them all to work within each other? Do you have centers of excellence that they concentrate on one kind of product, or how do you work that? That's a big change happening right now, John, as well, because um, if you look at uh, 10 years ago, um, there was many presentations made around how GM's gonna have architectures done all over the world, right, in these different centers, right? And we're going to decrease the amount of engineers um, in North America. That was um, what we did. Um, those centers um, need to exist, and they need to be really good at what they're doing for their markets, uh, you know, regulatory-wise and then the taste of the customer. We need that to design and be effective in those markets. Doing an architecture, though, and the IP that goes behind an architecture to satisfy those um, markets on a regulatory basis, because of the changing environment in all of these things uh, and the future of the complexity of the cars, we need to have that controlled and centralized from an architecture standpoint, and that's what we're in the midst of doing. So Warren, um, Rüsselsheim in China will be those really uh, extensive um, architecture places, and, uh, and then the markets where we sell will be the execution of those architectures. So philosophically, massive change going on there. We're down to the very end of the show, so I'm gonna try to sneak a, a, a fast one into you. You guys are trademarking the Zora name, Zora Arcus Duntoff. Are, uh, yeah. are, are we going to see something about a, a special Corvette? Yes or no, real quick. Well, Corvettes are always special, okay. uh, number one. Okay, so I don't care. Real quick, we're down to the very end. No, I know, all right. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, we'll see. Okay, we'll yeah. see. Fair enough. Mark Royce, thanks so much for coming on. Thank, thank really, you all for really being Really good here. stuff. Thank you. Great, Appreciate great it. information here. And, and Jeff and Michelle want to thank both of you, too. And, of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for AutoLine this week has been provided by... Hey! Hey! Did you have a good nap? The Firestone Destination LE2. <laughs> Tough enough to handle anything the road throws at you. Oops. And you throw at it. Durable, dependable, Firestone tires. Whatever you drive, drive a Firestone.